0: So I had been um, thinking about this day for a while now. And then uh, when it got closer to time to preach, I looked at the readings I was dealt, and I was like, we're not going to Lamentations for a baptism. That's for sure. So I'm thankful for, as Susan said, a song that enriches our worship. And of course, this this reading from Timothy. And the last time I remember... um, a pastoral epistle being preached on in church, I remember right where I was. It was at Sturgis, It was in Sturgis, Michigan, at St. John's Episcopal Church. And it stands out for me because we were just closing up a Cursillo weekend. And I don't know if this was the Holy Spirit playing a joke on us or it was just an error on behalf of the lector, but he read from the daily office lectionary instead of the Eucharistic lectionary. And our catechumens and our lifelong Episcopalians will know the difference between the two. At any rate, as the man began to read a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, to be exact, you could see on his face the instant he realized what he had done. For in that moment, a collective... Hiss, pretty much from the entire congregation, rose to meet Paul's statement that he permits no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. Dude didn't know what hit him. So the reason I, I raised that bit of scripture up this morning is not to suggest its primacy. Okay, hear that. If you hear nothing else. Not to suggest its primacy. But to place it in contrast uh, with the lovely passage we have from 2 Timothy this morning that celebrates grandmothers, mothers, and children. I can't help but recognize the deference and tenderness given by the author that celebrates this lineage that's given to Timothy through the females in his family, nor that of our own context this morning as we prepare to recognize four generations of women who have worshipped in this place and gathered before God. And they're doing that because they're welcoming the newest member to their quartet, Avery Marie Phillips. Throughout this week, I've continued to return to this threshold of wonder where four generations have gathered before God, thus opening my eyes to the fact that it really has been only in the last 30 years or so, according to the Journal of Geriatric Psychology, that the reality of having four generations present at any given time is becoming as prevalent as the standard grouping of three that's mentioned in the epistle this morning mother, daughter, and child. Add to that a woman like Sarah Hayes, yes ma'am, who just hung up her tennis racket, and you'll know why great-grandmothers are sticking around. I also want to draw our attention, and I'm thankful to Frank Gilliam for this, for pointing out the fact that this reading raises up a matrilineal genealogy in the introduction to the letter when so many genealogies of that time were patrilineal. Recalling your tears, Paul says, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, your great faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. Amanda, I don't have to stretch too far to see those words present in your own life. So while this passage no doubt speaks of a spiritual lineage passed on, a, a spiritual heritage, it celebrates life in a way too. If we take the time to see and open it, we can wonder at the very substance of our flesh, the incarnation of our bodies, the holy temples that they are, and how they are able to reach back into history as well as hold the future. For as much as this is a spiritual passage, it also represents a bit of biological truth. I'm getting a nod from Frank, so I know I'm good. So before I unpack that, I did wanna just state that I know that issues of reproduction are hard because there are some people who are not able to have children and some people that want to have children really bad and cannot. And I realize that. And I don't want to minimize the pain of that much cause. I do know that there are other ways to mother and grandmother people, and I want to raise that up. So here's the question. How close are you, or were you, to your mother's mom? Relationally is certainly one aspect of it, but I want you to think biologically as well. If, in fact, your grandmother is still living, you could choose, if you wish, to blow her mind and your mom's by casually mentioning that you literally started life inside your grandmother. So I want us to think about this. Every female fetus, including your mom, developed all the eggs she would ever have as a fetus inside her own mom. And of course, one of those eggs, half of the equation, if you would permit me, ultimately developed into you. So in some sense, all of us here were held, half of us were held inside of our own grandma. Now, this is where it gets even more amazing. If you or someone you know is pregnant or able to become pregnant with a little girl, you can gaze down, as I suspect mothers often do, and know that in some way you are potentially holding the building blocks of your future grandchildren inside of your body. Such knowledge speaks to, I believe, how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know that we don't always talk about such things like this, but I know that most of you have wondered about it. For I know at certain times you've come to me and said, I wish my mom were here. I wish my grandmother were here. I wish I'd known my grandmother. And in a way, you do. Because they are present, living in flesh in you. Or as Lexi would remind me, because she's the only one in my family to read Harry Potter, that Albus Dumbledore once spoke to Harry and said that his mom lives in his very skin. I thought about it last year, too when teachers from Cordova Park Elementary had to say goodbye to one of their colleagues who had developed an aggressive form of breast cancer and left behind a daughter. What would it have meant to her, I wonder, if she could have realized, and perhaps did, that while she would miss her daughter growing up, while she missed the future she desperately hoped to see, for a time She carried that future in her very self. It's amazing to me, and Frank, I'll ask your forgiveness again after service for bending genetic theory here, but what we witness today is miraculous. Because what gathers, what will gather at the font and in this congregation is not four generations, but eight. your grandma, and the potentiality for her grandchildren. And that's what I tried to show on the cover, but I hope you all got there. (laughs) What is amazing is that past, present, and future are all in this room. Literally. Our flesh connects us to those folks we have loved and lost. It holds the future and is the conduit through which lineages are passed on to future generations. And as the poet and theologian John O'Donohue once wrote, in a sense, the notion of home is a continuation of the human body, which is, after all, our original and primary home on earth, For it houses the body, mind, and spirit once held by our grandmother. To be, we need to be home. And when a place to belong is assured, the adventure of growth can begin with great promise. And so the adventure has begun anew in Avery, who joins Jesus with those who have come before her and all those who will come after her at the water's edge. If you would please join me at the font, we'll get going.